Today on Ag News Daily. Whether it's just the routine feeding and, and watering of the animals, making sure, say, in the feedlot, the pens are maintained, making sure that you vaccinate, you treat for illness. Everything you do to care for that animal is animal welfare. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Friday here on the Ag News, Ag News Daily Podcast. This is Delaney Howell. I am back. I am sunburnt. I am, I guess, well-rested and excited to be back on the podcast with Mike and Madison today. So, Delaney, bring us up to speed. Where were you this whole week that you didn't do any gosh darn work? <laughs> I didn't do any work on the podcast. I still answered emails and stuff. But I was in Colorado, so my boyfriend and I spent... Two days in Denver and two days in Breckenridge. We went white water rafting. We did alpine slides. We went to a Rockies baseball game. We had a good time. Did you explore any of Colorado's recently legalized agriculture? I did not. Well, that's probably the right answer on the podcast. I'm yeah. Back in Iowa anyway. <laughs> but I tell you what, I we I mean, so the route for us starting off in Des Moines you basically just take 80 straight across until you hit 76 and there were a lot of cornfields and soybean fields that looked really good and a lot of fields that looked really bad so that is some top quality crop scouting there Delaney yes thank you some look good some look bad I mean, I would say the ones that the job looked... offer for the USDA is probably right around the corner. I would say the ones that looked good though looked really good. Like, I mean, I think they looked where they should be for this time of year, and the ones that looked bad were still had standing water, ankle deep. There were a couple of fields that were maybe ankle height. I mean, there was. I guess what I'm trying to say is there's a big discrepancy between those fields. Gotcha. A lot of variability. I yes. think that is going to be the theme of the year. Folks that were able to get in before the cold, wet snap there in April, that corn does look good. You know, I've been all over Iowa the past couple of days, and yeah, it is waist high, chest high in some mm -hmm. places. Dark green. I mean, it shot up a foot here in this past week, given the heat that we're finally getting put on this crop. And then there are some other fields, but yeah, you're right. They're still ankle high, little ankle biter, ankle biter. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But since we're talking about this year's crop, I've got some interesting news to share with you guys. I've been watching this week. I have been still reading the news, Mike. I haven't been completely checked out. But the CME, Purdue Ag Economy Barometer, they put together, of course, monthly surveys. They've been seeing a lot of folks this year, when asked on the recent survey, talking about how they made their decisions this year to plant their crops. On their latest survey, they showed that one in five, or about 20% of the growers that they interviewed, of corn growers specifically, said that they planted more of the grain this year in anticipation of USDA's second payment plan for farmers and ranchers. And some 10% of farmers said they grew more soybeans because of that direct aid package. So it sounds like, you know, of course they said, USDA said, we don't want this to sway farmers' decisions, but... These growers are directly correlating that. In fact, it did sway their decisions to plant this year. Yeah, I, you can't drop something like that on the market and have it not affect decision-making. You know, and our, our good friend Scott Irwin from the University of Illinois has done quite a bit talking about that. If you don't follow him on Twitter, uh, you should. He is, he is infamous, I should say, for his multi-tweet threads, but it does cover a lot of ground, and it's very interesting. Mm -hmm. It is really interesting, and I don't know if you guys shared the statistic. I think I sent it to you earlier in the week, but talking about how they're will probably be at least 10 million acres of prevent plant 
the uh, survey done by Ag Economy Barometer said, do you anticipate taking a federal crop insurance prevent plant payment in 2019 on any of the corn acreage you intended to plant, and 68% of folks said no, while 32% of folks said yes. So that seems to contradict a little bit what USDA is saying about intended prevent plant acres this year, but I guess we will just have to wait and see on that one. Yes, we will. Well, Delaney, you have been talking a lot, and frankly, I'm sick of it. (laughs) How was your 4th of July? It was great. Uh, I went and helped actually ended up painting over at my one of my friend's houses and um and then we went out for dinner and just had a fun time did you eat beef yes i had hamburgers we had hamburgers good for you good for you mm-hmm. hamburgers classic fourth of july food exactly it's like the fourth of july staple what about hot dogs hot dogs are a staple they are they are hot dogs are a staple but i would i would lean more towards broth mm. i think on the floor yeah, yeah. they're meaty you know, you get get more bang for your buck. Hmm. That's true. Yeah. Well, a lot of ways you could take that comment. <laughs> Anyhow, so, Madison, uh, you're recovered then from the 4th of July. What have you known? Yeah. What do you see in the world of agricultural news? Well, one thing that I saw today, Mike, um, was that the United States has made its first ever rice sale to China. This is kind of a follow-up with the trade news we had on Monday when Chinese reported that they would be purchasing more U.S. agricultural products. Um, But a private importer in China last week bought U.S. rice for the first time ever um, on Wednesday And they ended up buying two containers, so about 40 metric tons of medium grain rice from a California-based Sun Valley Rice Company. And they're really hoping that we can see rice kind of be mixed into the trade more because Chinese officials did agree, actually, to allow imports from of U.S. rice in July 2017, But because of all of the trade disputes that we've had going on, it kind of threatened the first sale and kind of pushed it back. So hopefully it's another export we can see going to China. Absolutely. Who'd have guessed we'd be shipping rice to China? This has been an insane marketing year. Yes, definitely has. Man. Well, you know, speaking of insane, we have more shenanigans on Roundup. Um, Sydney, Australia, their city council said earlier today they're reviewing weed management, including the use of Roundup, after other councils in Australia have been cutting ties with the product because of these recent lawsuits, uh, you know, tying Roundup to cancer. So basically, they're saying that they might not be using Roundup to control weeds for the city in Sydney anymore. Hmm. Interesting. I've got another piece of news connected to that directly there, Mike. We've seen the U.S. and 15 other countries launch a broadside criticism of the European Union on Thursday, saying that their, quote, hazard-based approach to regulating pesticides and other critical tools used by farmers is damaging livelihoods worldwide. They submitted a joint statement to the WTO saying that the EU needs to reevaluate the way that they are allowing or not allowing products like Roundup Ready and glyphosate into their country. And I know, I think end of this year, end of next year, we see the EU's licensing of things like glyphosate come to an end. And it seems like these groups are trying, these countries are coming together to try to get ahead of that. And 
I, it sounds like trying to force the EU's hand into continuing to allow those products into the countries. Yeah, yeah and I think that's going to be an uphill battle until Bayer gets these lawsuits sorted out. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think so, too. Interesting. Well, I, I just have one other piece of news. You know, it is Friday after a holiday. It's kind of a slow news day. But we did get a piece of key information. U.S. job growth rebounded. The uh, Labor Department released their non-farm payrolls report earlier today. And non-farm jobs created in the month of June was 224,000, which is the highest in five months. So that is a strong piece for the economy. And um, it is uh, one of those things that might make the Fed back off their pledge or their, their plan to cut interest rates here at some point throughout this year. All right. Good follow-up there for us then on that. Yeah. So any other ag news we need to get through before we jump into the markets? I do have one other piece of news I wanted to share. Um, I I guess I don't know if you guys chatted about it earlier this week, but uh, we've seen a lot of oil state senators and, and Congress folks coming against Secretary Purdue about his involvement with the small refiner waivers or those hardship waivers that we've talked about before. But the EPA has also proposed, as of Friday, only a minimal increase in U.S. biofuel usage. And we've seen quite a few biodiesel folks especially upset about their proposed rules or their proposed blendings for the year of 2020. They set the annual biofuel rates for 2020 and 2021 increased them by almost a third. However, biodiesel requirements were basically left unchanged for 2020 and 2021, kind of anchoring those folks out there in biodiesel country. Yeah, absolutely. You know, biodiesel is one of those few biofuels that does need the mandate in order to uh, stay competitive. Yeah, I don't get this too. I can't remember who I was talking to this about, but Mike, maybe you can shed a little more light on it. Why don't producers use biodiesel instead of regular diesel in like a lot of tractors and equipments? You know, a lot of folks do. And I think we'd have to get, um, you know, our good friend, Kevin Ross, who is now uh, head of the NCGA. He serves on a biodiesel board. So I know he's got a lot of detailed information. I, I think Honestly, I'm going out on a limb. Listeners, I know we've got biodiesel pros who tune into the podcast. Find us on Facebook or Twitter at Ag News Daily and make sure I've got my facts straight. But I think in a lot of cases, it's just a function of cost. Hmm. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, but anyway, uh, we want to hear from the experts. So yes. shout out at us. Yes, shout out at us. Madison, what other news do you have for today? Um, I just had an update from China about African swine fever, and they actually reported that they believe that the disease is slowing down. Um, Honestly, I'm not sure really how I kind of feel about this. Um, There's still no cure or vaccine for the disease, and I know we have kind of talked about China not really giving um, the full report on African swine fever, but they are saying that fresh outbreaks have dropped significantly significantly this year, um, and pig production is gradually returning to normal. So hopefully that is true, but I'm really not sure. Hmm. Yeah, you know, it was just earlier this week or late last week, it was reported that 50% of China's breeding stock is uh, killed by this disease. So I, I don't see how pork production is starting to pick up again, but 
Yeah. You know, I, time will tell. We'll see if they start buying some soybean meal. Yeah, because when I saw it, I was really confused because I, I knew we had just, like, talked about, you know, 50% um, dying from the disease and everything, and now they're reporting that it's slowing, but who knows? Maybe it is, but maybe they're just trying to be positive. Trying to yeah, create yeah, some right. leverage or something, maybe yeah. for negotiations. Yeah, that could be. Look at you two. You're already cynics. Hard to believe. <laughs> I think it's you rubbed off on us, Mike. Yeah, I was so. just... I'm, I'm a total downer. I don't yeah. trust anybody, and that's how I roll. Mm, well, all right. What do you got for market? I, mean, I trust prices. That's I do, too. I trust, I trust prices. prices. Soybeans today looking pretty bleak. Everything else just staying in, in neutral territory here. But, of course, our markets are sponsored by our partners at the Zaner Group. Now you can reach Mike, even if you'd like to... Uh, set up some some sort of conversations to help you put together a marketing strategy, you can give them a call at 312-277-0050. Going through the markets for today, we've seen the July corn contract close up just a penny at 434. The December new crop contract closed up a penny as well to close at 442 and a quarter. The soybean pits, lots of red on the screen today with the July contract cutting 13 cents to close at 872 and a quarter. The November cutting 14 and three quarters cents at 8.94 even. Wheat is following along into positive territory with the corn markets. July contract up a penny and a quarter to close at 5.19 and a quarter. The December up two cents to close at 5.27 and a quarter. Hopping over to look into the livestock markets for today. Lots of green in the feeder cattle and live cattle markets with the August live cattle contract up a dollar 55 to close at 107 even. The October up a dollar 77 to close at 108. Oh seven and a half. Feeder cattle couldn't quite get limit up today, but the August contract did finish up two dollars and twenty-five cents at one thirty-eight eighty-two. The September up a dollar seventy-five to close at one thirty-eight seventy. Lean hogs here in the front month contract. Maybe not so excited at the news of African swine fever coming to a slowdown in China. The July contract cut a dollar forty-two and a half to close at seventy-two twelve. The August down a dollar thirty-two and a half to close at seventy-seven oh five, and of course rounding out our markets with the dairy class three milk futures, we saw the July contract up nine cents on the day at seventeen forty. The August up six cents to close at seventeen eighty-eight. Mike, you have today's interview today for today. Why don't you tell us who we'll be chatting to? Absolutely. At the end of last week, I had the chance to go to Ames to participate in the stockmanship. Um, conference up there at Ames, put on by the NCBA, National Cattle Disease Association, ICA, a lot of other stakeholders, and Merck, Merck, excuse me. And uh, this conversation with Angela Basinger, she is the head of animal welfare there for Merck. All right. Well, still here at the Stockmanship and Stewardship uh, Clinic being put on up at Iowa State University. And now we're talking to Angela Basinger. And you've got a great title. And I've already completely forgotten it. You're the animal welfare lead for North America. Is that That's right? Correct. That's oh, correct. boy. Every now and again, I get lucky. A blind squirrel <laughs> finds a nut. That, that's a big title. Yes. Animal Welfare Elite. What does that mean? Break it down for us. Uh, I'm a veterinarian, first of all. And the Animal Welfare Lead for North America, it's for all species. So not just cattle. You know, right. Believe it or not, there's welfare for other animals. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> I guess. But it's what I do 
or what um, I'm attempting to do in helping producers, veterinarians, and taking it all the way to the consumer level. The team that I work on, the Veterinarian Consumer Affairs team, is made up of, of a group of people where we try to convey information and help with trainings, help with from all the way to the consumer side of providing information to consumers, to retail, to restaurants, about what producers do on the other end with raising their animals. Okay. So we're kind of a voice going both directions to try to provide information and keep that com communication, that conversation going. Gotcha. So when you think about the concerns that are coming back down the channel from the consumer side, what are some of the big things that are jumping out at you here in 2019? I mean, it seems like animal welfare has always been a hot topic. I think back to PETA standing in front of buses in the 90s naked to today, you know, the, the, the tactics have changed a little bit, Yes. but there are still concerns. What are the big two or three that are on your mind looking forward well, on the production animal side. Yeah, let's let's talk cattle. Okay. Since we're at a cattle event. Yes. Um, with cattle, first, let me let me, you know, minimize the the strain on the listeners uh, <laughs> with a definition of animal welfare. Oh yes. Because I want to make sure that producers out there realize that it's not something that they need to be afraid of. They do it every day. Anything that is taking care of that animal, whether it's just the routine feeding and, and watering of the animals, making sure, say, in the feedlot, the pens are maintained, making sure that you vaccinate, you treat for illness. Everything you do to care for that animal is animal welfare. Makes sense. It used to be called animal husbandry back in exactly. the day, just the, the general life of the animal. And, and what it is is being able to tell your story of how you care for that animal. And with... What we're looking at on the cattle side, getting back to your original question, yeah. is with animal welfare, some of the things that are coming down the road is such things as pain mitigation. Being able through some of the things that we do for cattle, you know, castration. Right. Uh, if you do anything with ear notching, you know, that it's painful, it's for our our use because we want to be able to identify those animals, but it doesn't benefit that calf necessarily. Right. Um, branding, because it's a painful procedure. Uh, eat, whether it's hot branding or freeze branding. So I'll make sure, that, make, that, make sure to say that. And then one of the things that you may not think about is how you wean those calves. You know, if you're the cow-calf guy out there, you're thinking, what is she talking about? But you know, when you go to wean that cow and calf away from each other, there's studies going on right now looking at the stress on the cow and stress on the calf. So there's fence line weaning studies going on. There's the immediate separation, you know, where they never see each other again to determine what are some of the benefits of different ways of weaning. So what is the research showing us so far for producers that are going to be weaning calves this year? What's the best way to do it? Well, because those studies are so new and going on at the moment, there's not a clear direction okay. yet. Okay. So I don't want to influence people to rush out and change their mm -hmm. you know, herd health or herd right. management plans. So stay tuned. Okay. You know, when I was growing up, we had a cow-calf operation, and dad's strategy was eventually she'll just wean the calf herself and kick it in the face. 
And I imagine there might be some uh, some animal welfare concerns with that strategy as well. <laughs> that could be painful. Yeah, I said those calves <laughs> did not seem happy, but you know they quit suckling usually after about eighteen months. They were they were about fully. Funny weaned. you say that because there's just brought to my mind there's some studies going on where they're looking at uh, little appliances they can put on the calf's nose. Yes, the nose flaps. To where, you know, it will naturally wean the calf because when it goes up there to try to suckle, these little, little nubs, you know, irritate the cow mm-hmm. and she moves away. So it's a weaning while they're still on the cow. Right. Which, again, so, studies need to be done, I suppose, on all this they're stuff. Going, they're going on right now. So now when we think about animal welfare as, as we talk about it today, you know, at, at sessions like this, at conferences, anything you go to that's related to animals, we're talking animal welfare. What is the general sense when you're working with producers about putting these things into place? Are, are most folks willing to take a dive and invest in, in a bud box or a tub or a snake or, or whatever they need on their for handling? Or do most folks continue to do it the way dad always did it? I mean, you've got, you've got both mm-hmm. sides of the coin there. But you know, producers, they realize that if it's something that's going to benefit the animal, uh, they'll usually perform better. Mm-hmm. You know, it, now since all these studies with animal welfare are so new and we're just starting to have ways to measure, you know, that we can now show or begin to show some of the performance, some of the dollars behind what we're doing with animal welfare, I think in the next two to three years, it's going to give those producers what they need to justify implementing or putting in new systems right to do what you know the studies are showing would benefit the animal okay and that makes sense you know it, any of these things are going to require an investment in time sometimes equipment sometimes mm-hmm. you know whatever you got to pay for it somehow absolutely this is a bi- in business yes and we want to make sure producers can be sustainable economically and still be able to provide the care for those animals. Right. Yeah. So when you look ahead, I, I want to circle back. You mentioned one of the big concerns, of course, is pain mitigation. Mm-hmm. And you know, we've heard concerns about this. You know, and I, you and I were talking before about dehorning, yeah. about castration, branding. You mentioned what type of pain mitigation strategies should producers be thinking about or considering this year if they really want to be ahead of the curve? Well. What I'm always going to say is they need to work with their veterinarian mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> to decide what's best and where it fits in the timing of some of the things that they're doing. Whether, you know, it, Merck has the first and only right now labeled pain mitigation product out there. And it's labeled for foot rot and then for fever associated with respiratory. Okay. And um, with that in mind, though, they can work with their veterinarians to see how it's appropriate to apply the pain mitigation products out there. Gotcha. But they do come with a cost. Yes. And we don't yet know the total payback yet. The studies, as you mentioned, are, right. are ongoing. Yeah. And and we're actively pursuing some studies, and we always look at the performance parameters, you know, behind showing how our products, or Merck's products, uh, will benefit the producer. Okay. Now we're talking a lot about cattle. Of course, we're at a cattle event. We've got a lot of listeners who are pork producers, a yes. lot of contract growers, folks that are out there working with animals every day and may not necessarily own the critter. Yeah. How do you put into place animal welfare practices if they're not demanded in the contract or, or what should growers be thinking about from that perspective? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've worked for a long time in the large animal industry and a lot of the pig producers out there I've uh, interacted with quite a bit. And, uh, 
they they already and the, the swine side has an industry audit that comes out and look and goes to the farm and actually evaluates animal welfare and that's the common swine industry audit Oh. And so they're routinely already being evaluated by third-party auditors, which that audit then goes to the packer so that they can take their pigs into slaughter. So um, the pig producers are you know, really working hard at implementing a lot of the things that the industry has deemed as needed for animal welfare. Interesting. So they're, they are kind of ahead of the curve. They they jumped in front of this issue from the get-go. Yeah, and poultry, the poultry industry, since there is a lot of poultry here in Iowa as well. Absolutely. Uh, they're already looking at the different housing systems, the different ways to, you know, monitor, uh, if you will, the flock health. Mm -hmm. um, and you make sure that those animals are performing well mm -hmm. because they're cared for. Right. And I'm a firm believer that the only good chicken is a fried chicken. That's <laughs> kind of where I come down on the issue. But, yeah, I want that fried chicken to be tasty. It's kind of, you know, I should, probably shouldn't be talking about chickens at the cattle meeting. <laughs> chickens are gross. Uh, <laughs> listeners know my perspective on chickens. We had we had broilers when I was a kid. I just never, never Same fell here. back in love Same with them. Here. So now let's talk a little bit about what Merck is doing. You guys have a have a pretty cool program that's to help producers kind of get in front of these things and, and get a better feel for it visually. Talk a little about, yeah. about what you guys have been working we on. We have some uh, online, on the internet, uh, video training type programs, mm -hmm. and we call those our Care 365 programs. We've got, and the first one was Dairy Care 365. So there's a whole series of training based around care for the dairy animal. So that's Dairy Care 365. Then we also have rolled out that just this year at uh, the NCBA convention, we rolled out the Cattle Care 365. And there's only one, one set of modules right now, and that's based around animal handling. Mm -hmm. uh, has to do with bringing the animals into a bud box or to a tub and through the snake and on into the chute. Okay. And how to handle those animals so they're not stressed. How they will can be managed better going through facilities. Because how you start animals out is typically what they expect next time you walk up to them. Mm -hmm. So anything, these modules will help the producers understand some of the aspects of their behavior, their flight zone, how to, you know, what they look for, their vision, how they detect things in the environment to be, better be able to manage them. Absolutely. And, you know, it's fascinating. It, just experience with cattle, you learn these things. But sometimes you learn wrong, and I'm not the first to uh, – I will be the first to admit I have learned the wrong way several times working with my old man. Yeah. And trainings like this have been very beneficial. Yeah. One final question before we let you go. Mm -hmm. Merck. Yes. You guys sell drugs. Yes. Why do you care about animal handling? If we didn't care about animals, why would we be in the business of trying to help them with the products that Merck has? If we didn't care about the producers – why would we be trying to do all these things? Mm -hmm. Merck cares. Merck wants to be out there and make the producers profitable and make that animal's life the best it can be. Fantastic. Well, thanks for taking the time to talk to us, and thanks for coming to, uh, to the meeting here in Ames this week. Thank you. That was a fantastic conversation. I tell you, Angela and I could have talked for hours. Her, her job is fascinating and helping farmers to 
understand how animal welfare can affect their bottom line is, is certainly key when it comes to livestock. Absolutely. That it is, Mike. And we've got a lot of livestock producers that listen to the podcast. But folks, if you have suggestions for other folks within the livestock or other ag industries, we should be reaching out to to have as guests on the podcast. Please reach out to us at Ag News Daily on Facebook or on Twitter or on Instagram now. That's right, Madison. Yes, definitely reach out to us on Instagram at Ag News Daily or at Global Ag Network. Awesome. Guys, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let let them go. go.